Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Open up your Bibles. Go to the book of John. We're in the second part of a seven-part series called I Am, and we're going to go through this through Easter, through the end of May, and we're looking at some statements Jesus made. But before we jump into the Word, let me introduce myself. My name is Stephen. All right, so you guys know my name. We're still learning your name, so give us some time on that. I meet you guys like this, and then I see you out like this, and it's like I'm meeting you all over for the first time again, right? And so we want to thank you guys just for allowing us to continue to honor the Walnut House in wearing masks while we're here. Um, Ricky has just been incredible, but here's the thing. If he gets sick, guess what? We don't get to have church because he runs this thing. So thank you guys. Just a couple more weeks here, and then hopefully as things keep going down, we will be mask-free in a few weeks. So But if you're a guest with us, just want to thank you for spending your morning with us. You could be anywhere else. There's a lot of great churches in Murfreesboro, and we're all working for the same team, just different positions. Amen. And so if you would, if you're a guest with us, would you text the word Avenue Connect to 97000 just so that we can stay connected with you? We're going to ask you just for a little bit of contact information. You can give us as much or as little as you want, or if you would rather fill out a analog card, that's what it's called, a paper card, you can do that at our Connection Center outside. And then we also want to give you a gift just to say thanks for hanging with us. So can we give all of our guests a hand this morning? Come on. So glad that you're here. A few few announcements so you know kind of what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. As a church, we want to move beyond just Sunday morning experiences. So we're trying to build some things throughout the weeks, throughout the month to help you guys build relationships so you're not just looking at the back of someone's head in front of you. You're actually getting to see their face, know their name, know their story. But even beyond that, you're also getting to be known as well. So we're starting Bible studies this week, Monday night. Our guys are launching with, we're studying the book of Romans, which is a very foundational book when it comes to walking out our faith. You can sign up for that at Avenue Connect at 97,000 as well. Our ladies are starting on Tuesday. And can I just say that, ladies, you're kind of surpassing us in registration. Come on, ladies, you guys are showing up. Fellas, come on. All right, we can't be outdone. All right, we're supposed to be the men of the house. So 97,000 Avenue Connect to sign up for both of those, but then also on December. Come on, Stephen. We just started spring. March the 27th, we're having our first men's night. We're going to be throwing axes at Murfreesboro Axe. Then we're going to be eating some barbecue and chicken at Puckett's. And so we'd really enjoy for you guys to sign up for that so we can hang out, do some guy stuff. Uh, Child dedications are coming up next Sunday as well. So if you have a child, doesn't necessarily have to be a baby, but if you have a child, we're going to uh, dedicate them. And what that means 
is it's not a salvation moment, but it's a returning to the Lord moment. And so as a team, as a church family, we're going to pray over them. Uh, we're going to commit because it takes a village these days to raise a child. But even more than that, I believe it's even greater to have a church family to help you raise your children. And so we're going to be praying over them, praying over you guys. You can sign up for that as well. Guess where? You guys know where? Avenue Connect at 97,000. Everything that we do, we're pushing you guys there. And also, we'd love for you to join us in being a generous church and giving there as well. You can do all of that. All right, with that being said, open your Bibles. Turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the bread of life. Two people were here. Awesome. All right, Jesus being the bread of life. And this, this took place right after, he made this statement right after he had fed the multitudes. And one of the things that I want you to remember going away from that, just to carry with you, that only Jesus can satisfy your hunger. That we all have physical hungers, but then we also have a soul hunger that, that just cannot be satisfied and fulfilled by relationships, by jobs, by even by purpose. That our ultimate satisfaction in that hunger is is going to be fulfilled in and with a relationship with Jesus. And the more time we spend at the table with him, the, the, the greater that satisfaction is going to be. And so Jesus makes this statement today. We're in John chapter 8. We'll start with verse 12, guys, and then we'll back up and look at a few more passages. It says in verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said this. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to what? Life. So you're not just in the light, but you have the light when you follow Jesus. And it's not just any light, but he is making a declaration here that he is the light that leads to life. And it's just not a fulfilled life of purpose, but it is a life of eternal a life of eternity with him. And I always want to try to give you some context of what's going on in scripture because sometimes we want to take a passage, we want to quote it, but we don't fully understand what's going on around Jesus here. So Jesus was was at a festival and it's called the festival, the celebration, the festival of the tabernacles, the festival of the shelters. And once a year, the children of Israel, they would celebrate this. And what this was is it was a remembrance of how God had brought them out of Egypt and while they wandered for 40 years, they lived in tents. And so every year, God asked them to remember that season where he was providing for them. And so for eight days, they would essentially live in a tent outside of their house. Now, could you guys live in a tent for eight days? After living, now some of you probably could, it's like all day, all day, all day. But what they would do, and they still do this today, they would build a little shelter, a little shack outside their house, and they would spend eight days there. And it was to help the children of Israel to remember how God had brought them through and how he had provided for them during those 40 years. And in the midst of this celebration, there was, there was this kind of other ceremony that was called the illumination of the temple ceremony. Do you guys know this? It was the illumination of the temple ceremony. And so Jesus is making this statement, I am the light of the world, 
in the midst of this illumination of the temple ceremony. And what they would do is they had these four menorahs, these four giant lamps that were about 75 feet high, and they had four goblets on them, and they would light these lamps. And it says that that those lamps were so bright that it not only illuminated the temple, but it would light up the whole city. And so these lamps had representations. Everything was symbolic. And so these lamps represented God's presence while the children of Israel were in the wilderness because the scripture says that he led them in the daytime by a pillar of smoke and at night he led them as a pillar of fire. And so these lamps represented God's presence with the children of Israel But it also represented God's presence in the original temple that Solomon built. And it also thirdly represented the coming great light that would lead those who were in darkness. So you got to understand the context of this. Jesus is making this bold statement as these lamps are lit, the festival is going on, and he makes this statement saying, look, this light that you're trying to recreate that you're trying to symbolically recreate, I am that light. I am the light. And if you follow me, you will have me. And if you follow me, you you won't just have me, but you will have eternal life, the light that leads to life. So give you context on where this is taking place and what's going on. But right before this, in the middle of this celebration, there's an instance where A woman is caught in adultery, and she's brought before Jesus. And so jump back up to verse 1. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. And it says, soon a crowd gathered and sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious laws and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Everyone say caught. Remember that. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? And so what they were doing, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Some people will think that maybe he was writing their sins, writing their names. They kept demanding an answer, like, Jesus, what do you say? What do we do? And he stood up again, and he said to them, okay, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone, and he stooped down again. Have you guys ever been talking to someone, like you're demanding an answer? And they're in the middle of something, they stop, and they say something completely like not what you were wanting to hear, and then they go back, like how infuriating and frustrating that can be. And so, so that's Jesus is down, and, and he's riding. And he stands up and he says, okay, you without sin, throw the first stone. Doesn't give them time to like say anything back and he just bends back down and he starts writing again. And this is, and this is what scripture says. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman and Jesus stood up again. And this time, turned to the woman and said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And we read this, but I believe she almost whispered this. No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And then he makes the statement, I am the light of the world. And so we read this, like getting caught, 
is never fun, right? And most of the time when we get caught doing something and, you know, whether you've been following Jesus forever or this is your first week, like we still get caught doing things we're not supposed to do. You know, I can't get away with eating anything in the house that I'm not supposed to because my wife has the nose of a bloodhound. Like peanut butter and chocolate's my favorite, but the minute I eat something, she's like, what are you eating? What are you eating? She can smell it. And, and you know, I try to get away with it, but I can't. My, my oldest daughter, she came out of the nursery when she was like two or three years old, and she had chocolate all over her dress. And someone had given her chocolate before church, and we told her you can't eat it until when? after church, right? But somehow she'd gotten it out of her diaper bag and had eaten it and it was all over her dress. And we were like, Ella, Ella, did you eat the chocolate that you weren't supposed to eat? And you know what she said? No, dad, I fell in mud. (laughs) She never left the nursery. (laughs) She never left the nursery. But see, when we get caught, we try to get our way out of it. How many of us have been pulled over before for speeding and we try to get out of it? When I was a hall director at Austin P, I had a girl that she would keep a bottle of water under her seat, and whenever she got pulled over, she would pour the bottle of water in her lap to tell the officer she was trying to get to the bathroom and she didn't make it, and she would get out of it. So when we get caught, we try to get out of it, right? Now, hopefully most of us, like we, we laugh about this, but hopefully most of us, we've never been in a position that this woman is in to where she is being brought. And so we read this in, in black and white, and this is, this is a major consequence. We read this in black and white, and we've seen it portrayed in the movies, and the movies really don't do it justice. And what you have to realize is, is that she was caught where? After, before, or during? During. She was caught in the act. And so she's brought before the crowd. She's drug away from the scene. We don't think like... Hey, what are you guys doing in here? Like, that's not how it happened. They saw it, and they drug her out, and now they're leading her and dragging her through the city to the temple to, prevent, like, to present her to Jesus. This is the worst day of her life. She's humiliated. She's probably not, like, fully clothed. She's probably screaming, no, stop. She's probably trying to pull herself away, and, and they're dragging, they're pushing, they're forcing her. She's terrified, and she's humiliated, but What we'll see going through this is that this wasn't just the worst day of her life. This was actually the best day of her life. Because let's be honest, we all need, like, we've all had those moments where it was better for us to have gotten caught than not to have gotten caught. Because when we fail to get caught, actually what we're doing is is we're believing that there are no consequences, and actually what we're doing is we're pushing those consequences further ahead, and and they're going to be greater And not getting caught never forces us to deal with our issues. And so in this moment, as humiliating and as like scary that it was for this woman, she is being forced to deal with her situation. She is being forced to deal with what is going on in her heart. She is being brought to the light that what was hidden is being uncovered. But here's the thing. She's not the only one. She's not the only one that's being brought before the light. We're going to look at two hearts. There's, there's two dark hearts that are being illuminated in, in this story that Jesus is lighting up. And we see the first one, this, this woman, she's, she's being brought. The woman, her heart is dark because it's a hopeless heart. Her heart is dark because it's a hopeless heart. 
And yes, this situation is way hopeless. Like by law, this is the last day of her life. By law, this is the last day of her life. And so this is a hopeless situation. Everything is lost. She's lost her dignity. She's lost her family. She's lost her influence. And at this point, she's probably going to lose her life. But let me just let you know that before her situation was hopeless, her heart was hopeless way before this. Her heart was hopeless way before this because, and, and she may not, like, she may not have known it. And we don't know her full story. We don't know, like, was she a prostitute? Was she having an affair? Was she married? Was, you know, was the guy married and she was trying to build her? Like, we don't know the full story. All we know is that she was caught in the act of committing adultery because up until this point, it wasn't just a situation that was hopeless, but it was her heart that was hopeless. And when we put our hope in something to fulfill a promise that it can't fulfill, we're hopeless. She's hopeless. Maybe she's using this relationship, this moment of intimacy and ecstasy to numb a reoccurring pain that just won't go away. But guess what it does? When the moment is over, she's left feeling probably more pain than she did before. She may be using this to fill some sort of void in a relationship. We don't know if she's married and maybe her husband's abusive or doesn't give her any attention or maybe she's never been married. And so she's in this moment trying to fill a relational void that at the end of it leaves her feeling even more empty than before. Maybe she's hoping that it will turn into something more because see, like in in this day, Moses had made allowances for men to leave their husband or men to leave their wives just because. Just because. And so maybe she's hoping that this relationship will turn into something more, but at this point it's not going to turn into anything more. As a matter of fact, it's it's over at this point. And so here's what I want you to understand. Like for you and I, we've all done things like this. We try to numb the pain with something. We try to fill a void with something. We, we, we try to pursue something that maybe we're not meant to pursue, that it's not God's best for our life. And what we're doing is we're losing hope way before we ever feel hopeless. We find ourselves losing hope way before we ever feel hopeless because We've had those moments where we feel like the moment, the situation is hopeless. But the truth is, is like days, weeks, months, maybe even years, we were walking in hopelessness before we ever felt it. Because here's why, all right? The loss of hope causes us to put our trust in sin to provide something beyond the temporary relief. The loss of hope causes us to put our trust in sin to provide something beyond the temporary relief. But guess what? It can't. It can't. And so that's true hope. True hopelessness is not just feeling hopeless. True hopelessness is that. It's putting our trust in something, in sin, that can't provide what it promises. And so for us, maybe loss of hope causes us to lie. Maybe loss of hope causes us to have extramarital relationships. Maybe loss of hope causes us, you know, to steal. Loss of hope causes us whatever that we do that is opposite of God's best for our life, our heart grows dark because it is hopeless. And here's the thing, like she knew what she was doing. Like the law was clear. She knew what she was doing. You and I, when like we mess up, when we go against God's best, when we break his law, when we break his, his heart, we know what we're doing, don't we? 
for those of us who are followers, like, like we understand that what we're doing is not right. And so she knew that. The teachers of the law knew that. And so they brought her to Jesus to condemn her. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't deny her guilt. See, they brought her to the light and he illuminated what was wrong. He didn't deny that. But he gave a different answer than what they thought he was going to give, right? And so her heart is dark because it's hopeless. Believe it or not, the teachers and the Pharisees, their heart is also dark because it's hardened. See, sometimes those of us who have grown up in church or, you know, we've, we've experienced church hurt or as a youth pastor, like, we would call them cradle Christians. It's the ones that were, like, were at church from six weeks old all the way up, and, and, and you've heard it all, you've seen it all, you've experienced it all, or maybe you've experienced the pain, the hurt that maybe comes with being a part of a church, and here's just why that happens. Guess what the church is full of? Some of you are like saying, like saying some words right now. It's like, you don't even want to know what my church is full of, right? Demons. No, you were saying, <laughs> right? It's like, no, it's like those people were crazy. No, that's, that's the key. The church is full of people. And as people, we are imperfect. And there's a proverb that says, where there is no oxen, the stall is clean. But the strength is in the oxen, Right? If you want to go to a church that's perfect, you're going to go to an empty church because people aren't there. My pastor always says, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it, <laughs> right? <laughs> but these religious men, their heart were hardened. Now, look, guys, they'd been teachers. They'd been studying Scripture, teaching Scripture. They'd been waiting and preparing and looking for the Messiah. And he's right there. He's right there. And they don't see him. They don't recognize. Why? Because their heart is hardened. Been 400 years since the last prophet had spoke, since God had spoke through the last prophet. 400 years between the last prophet and Jesus showing up on the scene. For 400 years, generation after generation of teacher, of Pharisee, of Sadducee, of all these religious people, for 400 years they had been waiting They had been watching. They had been believing that the Messiah would come. And for 400 years, there was silence. I wonder how many of us in here have have areas in our life where we've been believing, we've been watching, we've been waiting, and there's been silence. So what we do is we stick to our routines. We stick to what we know. That's, that's what they had done. They had been sticking to routines. They had been sticking to rituals and ceremonies and celebrations. But there was no meaning in it because their heart had been hardened. Because if there was meaning in it, they would have recognized that Scripture was being fulfilled right in front of them. And that's what happens. Our heart becomes hardened when we focus on areas of life where God is silent. When we lose sight of intimacy in our relationship with God or he becomes familiar and so we just stick to routines and we're praying but we're not really believing anything's going to happen. We're reading but we're not really believing in what we're reading and we're going to church but it's just so like Jonathan said, we're just kind of, we're here, I'm just not, I'm not feeling it. In days, weeks, months of just not feeling it, we put up walls. We put up walls to protect ourselves, to numb 
and these walls, they distort what we see and what we experience God doing around us. And when our hearts are hardened, this is what happens. Our, we are unable to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life. See, they were un, unable to celebrate what God was doing in that moment for that woman because they were also unable to accept what God is trying to do in their life. See, when our heart is hardened to the things of God, we are unable to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life, and we're not able to see what he's trying to do in our life because we, 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 he's been silent all this time. Why would he speak now? We put up these walls. And some of you in here, like one of the things that I did not expect, just real talk from one of the things I did not expect as a church planner is to have so many people with church hurt to want to be a part of a church plant. I was like, you do realize this is hard work, right? And I can't fix their hurt. I can't fix your hurt. I can't bind your wounds. What Jesus is doing in this moment is he's trying to point out what's wrong with their heart. And when we're hurt, when we're offended, and somebody tries to correct and direct us. Because there are times when we are hurt and offended that we need counsel and healing, right? But there are times when we've been hurt and offended and we allow bitterness to creep in and we need to be corrected. And we don't want that side, right? And what Jesus is trying to do to break down their walls here is he's trying to correct them and he is exposing their darkness, and so two people were brought to light that day, two hearts. A hopeless heart and a hardened heart. And so which one are you? Maybe you're neither one. Maybe you're good. That's fine. But I want to speak to those here today that maybe your heart is hopeless because you've been putting your trust in something and it keeps letting you down time and time again. Or maybe your heart is hardened because, hey, you've done the church life. Maybe you followed Jesus, you prayed for a healing, you prayed for different things, and God hasn't shown up in the way that you thought or the way that you wanted to, and so you allow these calluses to form over your heart, and God's maybe trying to do something, speak something, say something, show you something, but you're not able to see it because your heart is hardened. Both hearts, both of our hearts are dark, and Jesus wants to illuminate this, that this morning. So when it's brought to light, the first thing that I want you to understand about light is the light invades darkness. Light is invasive. You can't stop it. And the scripture says this. It says that in John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And when you think about light, darkness cannot overpower light. How many of you guys have like been in a super dark room? And you light a match, turn on your cell phone, light a candle, flashlight, no matter how dark that room is, is the darkness in the room able to overpower that light? No. There is no darkness too dark that can overpower the light. And when you think about, like even in this room, there's shadows in the corner, there's probably shadows on my face, but we can still see in because light is still able to penetrate and invade those areas of darkness, and that's what Jesus does. There is no area of your heart that is too dark that he can't invade. The problem, though, is when he wants to invade, it's one of two things. We're either going to be really excited about it or we're going to be offended by it. 
Because there's, there's, there's been times when you've been in the dark, and what happens when you've been in the dark and you come into the light? What happens? Like, it offends our eyes. You can't see. It takes a moment to adjust. And, you know, waking up my kids in the morning is just great. Like, you can't turn any light on. Like, I flip on the closet light, and that's too bright. So I have to open the windows just a little bit so it's not too bright. Because when we're coming out of the darkness, light can be offensive at first. And so for the Pharisees and the religious, they had been in darkness generation after generation for 400 years. And so for them, it was offensive. But for her, it was life. The only time darkness can overcome light is when it's hidden, when it's covered. When light invades, the next thing it does is it exposes what is hidden. Light exposes what is hidden. Ephesians 5.13 says, But evil intentions will be exposed when light shines on them, for light makes everything what? Visible. Light makes everything visible. You guys ever watch CSI? Is that even still a show? Anybody ever watch CSI? I'm going to date myself real bad. Like in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, all right, there was, there was CSI Miami, and that was my favorite one because Horatio was just so cool. And at the, end of every, at the end of every episode, it was the same. The guy would walk past him. He would make some snide remark, and then he would turn look off in the distance and put on his sunglasses. Like, like every episode ended the exact same way, and it was just so cool. But after like six seasons, I was like, all right, I've had enough. This is, this is enough. But what I loved about those shows is that no matter how hard someone tried to clean up the crime scene, you can bleach it, you can Mr. Clean it, you know, you can, you know, magic eraser it, you can do whatever you can, but they come in with that light, that ultraviolet light, and they shine it, and they see everything that you tried to clean up. Jesus is the same way. The light exposes what we've tried to cover up, what we've tried to hide, what we've tried to suppress. And, and I kind of read, like, battled back and forth between using the word reveal or expose, because sometimes when you reveal something, you make a choice, like we do a gender reveal party. Like, like we are choosing to reveal that. But when something is exposed, I just think of like a Band-Aid being ripped off. And sometimes in our life, the things that we've tried to cover, they need to be exposed for our good. And that can be, that can be painful. That can be hurtful. But it has to happen. And this is what Jesus is going to do is he's going to point out those areas. And for some, some areas of our life, guys, let's be honest. Like, it's obvious. Like, like, the person sitting beside you knows, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you need to work on that. And those aren't as dangerous as the areas of life that no one knows about. Those are the areas that need to be exposed. Maybe not to the person beside you, but they need to be exposed to Jesus. They need to be exposed to you so that we can deal with them. They need to be brought to light because once we expose it, then something else happens. Light offers hope. And so when I thought about this, I thought about like when, you know, and you've never been locked in a, you know, like lost in a cave, but if you've ever been in darkness or you've seen TV shows where they're like in darkness and they're in a cave and they're like, how are we going to get out of here? And they see a light And there's just a shift in their situation and a shift in how they feel because, and it just may be just a little crack of light coming through the wall, but they see a light and like, all right, we know if we can just get there, that the end is near, like we are on our way out because light brings hope. When the power goes out, man, kids get excited when you find a flashlight. 
because it's dark until that light comes on. Because what it's doing is it's giving them hope in that moment that everything is going to be okay. John 3, 16, we know this verse. This is how God loves the world. How? He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We stop there. Well, let's go down to the next verse. Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world not to what? Judge the world, but to what? save the world. See, the Pharisees were bringing this woman to Jesus so he would judge her. But that's, what, that's not what he came to do. He came to bring life to her because light gives hope. Invasion and exposure brings life. Invasion and exposure brings healing. Invasion of light and exposure to light brings hope. The last thing light does is this, guys, is, is light gives direction. Light gives direction. Anytime you're flying, let me tell you, the lights go out. These little lights on the aisle will pop up so you can see where to go. When you go to a movie theater, you see lights down the aisleway so you know where to go. And sometimes you even have guys with a flashlight that will walk you down. If you go to a concert or a play, and they will walk you down, and they will show you the aisle that you're supposed to go to. And the whole time, they have this light giving you direction on where to go. Once we receive this light, we have a responsibility to do what it says. In John 3, 20, it says, all who do evil hate the light, and they refuse to go near it. Those who do what is right, what do they do? They come to the light. See, light directs us, and we have to make a decision whether or not we're going to follow that direction. We, when we experience the light, when it's invaded our life, when Jesus has invaded our life, when he's exposed the areas of our life, when, when he's given us that hope and we've, all, like, we've accepted it, then we have to make a choice. Are we going to follow that light, or are we going to shrink back away from the light? See, in this particular story, both happens. Both happens. You see the Pharisees, they say, you without stone, you without sin, cast the first stone. And they made the choice. They could have dropped the stone and stayed and listened and learned and experienced the light. But instead, they made the choice to drop their stones and shrink away one by one by one, continuing to live with a calloused, hardened heart. And then you had the young lady who was drug out before the light. It had completely invaded her life, exposed her greatest sin, but at the same time, it offered her hope and said, we're your accusers. I don't accuse you. But then Jesus gave her some direction. What did he tell her to do? Go and sin no more. See, we have a responsibility. When we come to the light, we allow Jesus in, be in the light of life. When we allow him in, we, we get a choice, a chance, and a responsibility to follow him because he says, if you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness, but instead you will have the light with you always, the Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and directing us. And when we follow that, then we will have the life that he's promised us, that, that life beyond our dreams on this earth. Not everything's going to be perfect, but it's going to be stormproof. But then we have eternal life. And so, but we have a choice. Are we going to allow the light to come in? Are we going to allow his presence to come in? Are we going to allow him to uncover the things in our life? Are we going to accept that hope? Are we going to follow whether we're hopeless and we're putting our trust in things that can't fulfill or whether our heart is hardened because 
we're just tired of going through the motions, and most of us will fall in one of two of these camps at some point. And see, for this woman, instead of it being the worst and last day of her life, it's now the best and first day of the rest of her life. But for the Pharisees, they're just going to continue to walk in the life that they've always had. And so I want to challenge us as, as, as we see Jesus standing before us saying that I am the light of the world. As he's saying, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. And he's in the middle of this ceremony and they're, and they're trying to reproduce this light. And the light is right there before them. And so I want to encourage you guys, the light is here, it's always here, it's, it's before you wherever you go, and we have a choice. Do we receive that and walk with it, or do we leave it and walk away from it? And so I want us to do this, I want us to close our eyes, and I want us to bow our head, and I want us to see where we're at, which, which camp, which, which heart of darkness do we have? And, and maybe like you're, like that's not you today. Man, praise God, you're walking in light. You have a responsibility to share that light with those around you and not hide it because the light that is in you cannot be extinguished. The only way that light doesn't get out is if you hide it. And so if you're walking in the light, reflect that. But if you're here today and you're like, and my heart's dark and I didn't really realize, I'm not feeling hopeless, but as I'm kind of looking at my life right now, I'm realizing that I'm putting my trust in things that, that can't provide hope beyond this temporary like satisfaction, this temporary relief, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a secret that no one knows about. You're putting your trust in that to provide something that it can't beyond that moment. Jesus stands before you just like he stood before that woman and says, I am the light. He says, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to judge you. I came to save you. I came to love you. I came to guide you. I came to heal you. I came to direct you. And you simply receive that light like you don't have to do any of the work for it. He's done all the work for you. You just simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. And scripture says that, that when we confess our sins, that he is just to forgive us. And if that's you here today and your heart's dark because it's hopeless without a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to let him light your heart this morning and just acknowledge that you need Jesus in your life by lifting your hands. No one looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. Come on. Awesome. Awesome. Now for the rest of us, maybe we've gone to church for a while and we've been through all the motions and we're here today maybe just out of routine. Maybe... You've been a part of church and have experienced church hurt and you're wounded and you're scarred and your heart's calloused and hardened because you've been waiting, you've been praying, you've been reading, you've been watching. God just hasn't showed up in areas and he's been silent in areas that you need him to speak into. 
And maybe he's speaking and standing right in front of you, but you can't see and hear because your heart is hardened. And I want to pray for you today. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Awesome. All right, look up here at me, guys. Come on. Those of you who raised your hand, we do this every week, man. Raising your hand does not save you, but it simply acknowledges that you need a Savior. It simply acknowledges that you cannot do the work on your own strength, but you want to accept the strength and the work that Jesus Christ has already done. You're, you know, you're standing there saying, Jesus, I give you my life. My way is not working, so I'm going to give your way a shot. And in that moment when we say, Jesus, I'm sorry, he forgives your sins. He puts them as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. And so in a moment when we pray, you're simply going to say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not all you're going to say, but it's going to be the start of a conversation and the start of a relationship that will guide and lead and direct you. In that moment, everything that you've done is in the past. It's covered. It's forgotten. And today, just like that woman, regardless of the weight of your sin, today is the best day and the first day of the rest of your life. And for the rest of us, I'm going to pray that God softens our heart to see him when he's in front of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word. God, help us to be in tune. Help us to recognize when you speak to our hearts, no matter how dark they may be for whatever reason. God, I right now, just I thank you for those that lifted their hands. Maybe they didn't even lift their hands physically, but God, internally they lifted their heart. They acknowledged that their way is not working. They're acknowledging that they have some areas of their life that they need your light to invade, to expose. God, they need the hope that only you can bring. God, they're starting today to follow you and direct, direct them, God. It's not all they're gonna say. It's the beginning of a relationship. Or maybe they're coming back into relationship with you. God, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them. Let them feel and experience your love in this moment, even right now. And God, for those of us in this room that maybe our hearts are hardened like the Pharisees and the teachers because of of hurt, because of pain, because of disappointment, because of insecurity. But for whatever reason, God, we put these walls up to keep you out. It looks great on the outside, but on the inside, our heart's dark because it's hardened. So God, I pray that you would illuminate those areas. God, help us to see what you're doing in our lives. Help us to hear what you're wanting to say. Help us to recognize your presence, God, in our life. So Father, we thank you for your presence here today. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that it would take root. God, and it would would grow and produce fruit in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap. Lives are changed.